All right. If you have your Bible, would you open to Romans chapter 11? Romans chapter 11. We are beginning our Advent series today. And uh, well, if you're visiting with us, I want to say welcome to you. You've picked a good time to come visit. Uh, my name's Kyle. I serve as lead pastor here. And uh, we're jumping into Advent, which is Advent just means coming. Uh, and when we talk about Advent, what we're talking about is uh, the Advent of Christmas time, the, the Advent of Jesus Christ, His first coming. Uh, we're talking about the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as a child, as Patricia mentioned earlier, born to the Virgin Mary, according to God's plan for salvation. And so that's what we're fixing our eyes on. Uh, I think if we're honest with ourselves, honest with one another, Christmas time is a time full of distractions. It's a time full of lots of other things going on in our lives. It's a time, uh, really, it's a time kind of full of self-centeredness, uh, can be anyway. Uh, it highlights self-centeredness even uh, in our materialism, especially that, that begins to kind of show up. And, and so um, it, it's a time where the, the focus can be on very quickly, and I think it's exactly what the enemy wants, uh, it can be on very quickly on everything except Christ. <laughs> Everything besides the reason for the season, as the yard signs say, <laughs> right? And, and that's, that's the case, I, I think, in our world. I think oftentimes it's the case in the church, that, that Christmas time becomes about the idea of Christ being born more so than about worshiping Christ as Lord. Does that make sense? We can, we can almost idolize the virgin birth. We can almost idolize Christ being born uh, on, a, on a silent night, um, outside of the inn or where there was no room for him. And, and, and we can idolize the things about Christmas without understanding the God who has come to us. And that's what we don't want to do as Christians. We don't want to idolize the things about our God. We want to, we want to worship God. We don't, we don't want to worship just the ideas about God. We want to worship who God truly is. And so Christmas time is... It makes it easy, if you will, to either focus on Christ because it's in the songs, it's, it's in the decorations, it's in the conversations, if you're, if you're paying attention. But it's easy to miss Christ in Christmas. It's, it's easy to miss God, uh, the significance of the season at Christmas time. So it's my hope that, that through this Advent series, what we'll get a chance to do is that it's going to draw our attention back to God, that our attention will be on God, that our gaze may be fixated, if you will, on the glory of God and the coming of God the Son. And so may this season, my prayer is that this season be a time where we are all as Christians, as men and women, as boys and girls who love the Lord Jesus Christ, where we are worshiping God. So, with our Advent series, I want us to do something not really different, not really unique, I hope, to what we do normally, but I want us to talk about God. <laughs> I want us to focus on who God is. I want us to marvel at this, this fact. For unto us, God has come. For unto us, God has come. This is what the Advent season is about. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to study God. And we've broken it down, the series, into these, these topics, if you will. The, 
The first one today, we're going to talk about the triunity of God. God exists in Trinity. Next week, we're going to talk about the overflowing love of God. The week after, we're going to talk about a God unlike all others. This will be the Sunday before Christmas. We're going to look at a God who comes to us, not a God who remains distant from us. And then finally, as we uh, set to enter into the new year, um, we will talk about how to have fellowship with this triune God. And so I'm excited for the season, uh, the Christmas lights, the trees, the, all the decor, the music, all of it gets me uh, excited. Uh, I'd be a little happier if I wasn't having to wear uh, summer clothing this morning, right? But it is what it is. We'll just pretend we're in Florida, all right? <laughs> Let me pray for us, and then we'll enter into uh, this. I've got a whiteboard today, and so um, I may invite Nathan or, or Kimberly up here to draw for me, but I'll try. Alan, I can't do a squirrel, but your squirrel always kills it, so I may, may have you come dry, draw a squirrel after church. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, and uh, God, we are approaching really a topic that's, uh, that's bigger than I am. Uh, it's bigger than any of us. It's, uh, it, it far exceeds our level of understanding. Uh, Father, we are limited to uh, your own revealing of yourself as we think about the Trinity. Uh, we, we cannot say anything, we cannot assume anything outside of what you have said already, outside of the way that you have revealed yourself, not only in creation, not only in the way that you act in the world, but especially in your word. Uh, Father, would you... Open our hearts today. Would you open our minds today to see and to understand who you are? Uh, Father, what we're not after is more head knowledge. We're not after knowledge that puffs up. Lord, I don't want us to walk out of here uh, with heads spinning in such a way that uh, we feel like we gained a bunch of knowledge and we're kind of wrestling to put together the pieces. I, it's my hope, Father, that by the help of your Spirit today that we walk out of here maybe with heads spinning, but with hearts that are aflame. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would ignite in us a, a fire, a, a deep love of God. I, I think the, the fact that you are Trinitarian. Well, one, that's unique. There's no other Trinitarian God. So you are the one true God. We confess that. But the fact that you're Trinitarian makes it possible for us to know you, to understand you on some level, maybe even a level that's growing. And especially it makes it possible for us to fellowship with you. And so, Lord, help us today to have hearts that are filled with worship, hearts that are filled with awe as we behold the one true God this morning. God, I am finite. I am imperfect. I am oftentimes unfaithful to you. I am a sinner with darkened eyes gazing 
upon the excellencies of God today. And so the task is too daunting. And I pray that your spirit speak today. That you help us to know you as only you could do. Lord, we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So there are a great many things to be said about God. And it is my hope that I can show you some of those today and what we'll look at. Uh, But we cannot exhaust what is to be known about God. In fact, one of the beauties about heaven, one of the realities of heaven, when you get to, when you as a Christian uh, pass from this life, from death to life, eternal, one of the beauties we know about heaven is that we will go on growing in our understanding, growing in our knowledge of God for eternity. That there will be new excellencies, new things. In many ways, we will no longer see in part, we'll see in full, but there will still be things to discover about God. This is one of the realities, one of the beautiful realities of heaven. You'll never reach the end of what is to be known about God. This is one of the things that makes being a Christian now, today in this life, so wonderful is you'll never get to the end of the knowledge of God. You'll you'll never go beyond who God is. You'll never arrive at something and say, well, I've figured God out. And if we could figure God out, totally, if we could totally know who He is, if we could know everything about Him, well then, I declare that He would cease to be God. Something else must be God. And so we would probably grow tired of Him. We would grow weary of Him because He would be known already. We would get bored with God. And some of you today may find yourself bored with God, but it's not because God has been exhausted. It's that your pursuit is waning. Your pursuit is failing. Maybe sin has crept in. Maybe something's keeping you from going deeper with the Lord. And so today, I hope that Some of that will be ignited in you again. But we will not exhaust God. That's one thing that Paul gets at in Romans chapter 11. It's one of the great short statements about God, and it comes at the end of Romans chapter 11. Now, if if you've read the book of Romans, what you know about Romans 1 through 11 is that Paul is, he's exclaiming that the sovereignty of God, especially in salvation, And and he's talking about the relationship of God to Abraham. He's talking about the covenants. He's talking about how righteousness is by faith alone in Christ alone. He's talking about how God has come to us in Christ Jesus, that he became for us what we could not be, which is sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, he's laying it all out there. He's saying that man is sinful. All mankind have fallen short of the glory of God, and they're in need of a Savior. And he goes on and on. And it gets to these realities in Romans 8, we will never be separated from the love of God. He talks about life and the Spirit in chapter 6 and 7 and 8. In chapter 9, we see the sovereignty of God in 10 over salvation. Chapter 10, he talks about how he's using mankind to preach the good news that men and women, boys and girls might come to know Jesus Christ, that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. How will they know unless they are told. And so every believer is in commission to be a missionary, or at least missional in the way that they live. 
spreading the good news of Christ Jesus. In chapter 11, he's talking about Israel and, and, and how he hopes for their redemption and how there's a new vine that's been grafted in in the Gentiles. And, and, then, in, and then he just ends in Romans 11, 33 through 36. He says, he just burst into doxology. Do you know what doxology is? Doxology is praise. You, you can't have doxology without theology, because if you're worshiping without right understanding, you're likely worshiping a false god. You're worshiping something you've made up. That would be idolatry. And so worship with theology. He's laid out 11 chapters of theology. This is who God is in your salvation, Roman believers. And then he bursts into doxology and he says, Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? In other, one, in other words, who can know him? Who could teach him something? Who could tell him something? And in verse 35, he says, Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? In other words, who has given something to God that now God owes you? The reverse is true, right? That God has given everything to us, and so we owe him our lives gladly owe him our lives. And then in verse 36, we have what is, I think, one of the best short statements about the nature of God. He says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Wow. For from him is saying something about God, that all things, everything in our world, in the universe, everything in creation comes from God. Now, we're not talking about just created things. We're talking about salvation. We're talking about uh, any kind of blessings from the Lord. Everything, Paul is saying, comes from God. It doesn't just come from God, though. It comes through God which gives us an insight into how the Trinity works. There's going to be different uh, persons as we look at this. There's different persons, and these persons have different, um, different roles, if you will, in expressing God. And I'll walk through this in a moment. But through God, we receive all things. From God come all things. Through God, we receive all things. And to God, all things exist. Which is why Paul says, to God be the glory forever. Amen. So everything exists for him. Everything comes from him. Everything comes through him. And it exists to be given unto him. Especially in ascribing him praise. Ascribing him glory. It's the last line there that really ought to stop us in our tracks and lead us to worship God. I don't think we can hear it too many times, so I'll read it one more time. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Everybody say all. All things. And the thing I want to lay before you today is this, is that if you're taking notes, you can write this down. God is self-existent. For from him and through him, 
God is all-sufficient. So God is self-existent, all-sufficient, and He is triune. From Him, through Him, to Him. All things. Now it is the triunity of God that makes Him self-existent and all-sufficient. It's this triunity that separates Him from all other gods. And so when we consider the triunity of God, there's There's three things that we need to have on our mind. There's three things that we need to think about when we think about the triunity of God. We might call these uh, pillars, if you will, foundations. They're they're what uphold the triunity of God. They're core core beliefs, and, and we must believe these things to be Christians. The first is this, that there is one essence in God. There is one essence in God. The second is that there are three persons in God. So there's one essence, three persons, and then finally, each person is fully God. These are the three pillars of the Trinity that we must believe to be Trinitarian Christians. In other words, Orthodox Christians, true Christians. There's one essence, three persons, and each person is fully God. So let's consider this first one. God is one in essence. How is it that from Him and through Him and to Him are all things? Well, it's because of His essence. Now, the word essence means being. God is His essence. God is His being. God is God. That's about as close as we can come to describing the essence of God. And I'm going to take some shots at it here in a little bit. But ultimately, the best way to describe God is as God described God when He said about Himself, I am who I am. I am God. God is describing His essence when He says, I am. He's describing exactly who He is. And we might say, well, how does that describe who He is? Because He's he's saying He is who He is, and it's not dependent on anything outside of him. He is. So if I say I am a husband, well, that's dependent on something outside of me. It's dependent on whether or not I really have a wife or not, right? I had a thought this morning as I was thinking about this sermon. Um, This is like, you know, boxing outside your weight class a little bit, thinking about the Trinity. (laughs) And I thought to myself, well, you've done that at least once before. You convinced Patricia to marry you, right? It's okay to agree. <laughs> but, but even that pales in comparison to trying to understand the Trinity. We are fighting outside of our weight class a bit here. But God's essence is His being. Essence is what you are. It's, now, we can only speak of God's essence by analogy because we can't fully comprehend the essence of God in a physical form. God is spirit, John says, and the Apostle John writes in John chapter 4, verse 24. Further, God is not made of a bunch of ingredients. God is not like your Christmas dinner. There, there are not a bunch of ingredients that have come together to make a meal. This is not what God is. God has a being. He is a being. And so the substance of God is God. He is divine. Amen? 
Now, there are these documents in church history called confessions, and, and we can think what we want about confessions. Maybe you've never read a confession. Maybe you have read confessions. Maybe you're for them. Maybe you're against them. But one of the things that, that make confessions helpful is that they summarize core beliefs really well. They do a good job of summarizing uh, core beliefs of the Christian faith. And so uh, whether you see it in uh, confessions or um, like the Apostles' Creed uh, is one that maybe you guys are familiar with. There's different creeds out there that summarize what we believe about God. And so a confession is similar to a creed, except it's much more exhaustive. It's not a few paragraphs. It is hundreds of paragraphs. And so there's one called the London Baptist Confession of Faith, and, and it describes God in, in this way. And I just want to read this to you. It says, The Lord our God is one, the only living and true God. He is self-existent and infinite in being and perfection. His essence cannot be understood by anyone but Him. Okay, I'm going to read a little further, but I want to, this is another a problem. This is a bit more like a Sunday school class, by the way. This is a, another problem with the Trinity is if we try to describe him, um, we, we tend to get into heresies. You know, if you, if you say that he is like, he's like water, he can be ice, he can be vapor, he can be water or fluid. Um, that's actually a heresy. That's called modalism. And, and so, that is not a good way. Uh, me saying I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a pastor uh, would be modalism. And so that it's not three distinct persons. I'm describing one person who does three different things. This is not what God is. God is we're, we're not believers in modalism. Uh, modern day example of modalism is the United Pentecostal Church and their view of, of oneness God, which is to say that God exists in three modes or moods he can be the Father, He can be the Son, He can be the Spirit, but He's not all three. He's not distinct at different times. There's not three distinct persons. So, so this is a problem. So we want to be careful not to get into that. You can equally fall into trouble when you start trying to draw things on a board for people. <laughs> and, and so what we're attempting to do is really dangerous. Um, I, I know you can feel the fear, right? So, but what I want to do is I want to, I want to try to show you in a picture what it is we're saying, because this, this helped me comprehend, uh, and I'm still in this from, from my professor in seminary, Jeff Johnson, because uh, he draws really good art on the board often. Um, I'll have to post pictures of it one day, but what I want to do is, is make a mark up here for his essence, okay? So let's just assume that God's essence is this circle, okay? That this is God. This is, this is his essence, okay? Now let me further describe for you well, I know that's small for many of you back there. I apologize. Um, that's where being a back row Baptist doesn't pay off today. So um, God, this is the essence of God. And, and let me explain to you a little bit, for continuing to read from the confession, what we're saying about the essence of God. Uh, remember, it's only understood by God. But it is who He is. It's His being. He, he is a perfectly pure spirit. He is invisible and has no body, no parts, no changeable passions. And so when we read things like the right hand of God, the backside of God, these are, see if I can, anybody remember the word you learned in Sunday school? 
anthropomorphisms. Super exciting word, right? I'll not try to spell it. But an anthropomorphism is where we try to ascribe to God human characteristics so that we can understand Him better. God speaks to us in His Word in anthropomorphisms because we are finite and He is not, so He helps us to understand some things about who He is. All right, but, but God is spirit. When you get to heaven, you're not going to see God the Father. Now, you will see God the Son. Amen? God the Son will be present. And you'll know the presence of God the Father. So he's a perfectly pure spirit. He has, he's invisible, no body parts, no changeable passions. He alone has immortality, dwelling in light that no one can approach. Again, I'm still reading from the confession here. He is unchangeable. So we might call this immutable. He's unchangeable. He doesn't change. He's immense, which means he can be near to us, but he is eternal. Sorry, imminent would be near to us. He's immense, which means he's large. Eternal means that he has neither beginning nor ending. He's incomprehensible, not totally, but fully. We can know something. We can comprehend some things about God. We just can't fully know him, at least not now. He's almighty. In every way, he's infinite. He's absolutely holy, so we might just, I'm just going to write a few words up here to help us. He's holy, um, he's eternal, he's wise, he's free, God is not bound as we are bound, he's completely free, and he's absolute, amen, he's absolute. So when we're thinking of God, and right now I'm just describing the triune God, I'm describing the Father, the Son, the Spirit, that this is some of the things, not all of the things, some of the things about who God is, okay? This is the essence of God. He's completely self-existent. Now, the second thing we see about God's essence is that He is all-sufficient. So He's self-existent, He's not dependent on anyone else, and so therefore He is all-sufficient, Now, again, the London Baptist Confession of Faith is helpful. It says that God has all life, all glory, goodness, and blessedness in and of Himself. He alone is all-sufficient in Himself. Now, you and I are not all-sufficient in ourselves. We are dependent, one, on God, but even more than that, we're dependent on many other things. God is not so. He is all-sufficient. He does not need any creature He has made. He's not needy of us. We'll talk about this more next week as we talk about creation but we're a product of His love. He, he, he has made, uh, He's not needy of any creature He's made, nor does He derive any glory from them. So he doesn't, he doesn't gain His glory from creation. It's not in creating that He gets glory now. It's that He's glorious before, but what He does is He demonstrates His glory in creating them, right? He, he demonstrates His glory in them, the confession says, by them, to them, and upon them. He alone is the source of all being, and everything is from Him, through Him, and to Him, which again comes from our passage in Romans 11, 36. He has absolute sovereign rule over all creatures to act through them, for them, or upon them as He pleases. In His side, everything is open and visible. There's nothing hidden from God. He sees all things, always, all the time. 
from eternity past to eternity future. God is not bound by time. He's not bound by perception. He's not bound by anything. He's limitless. His knowledge is therefore infinite, and it's infallible. There's no fault in God. It doesn't depend upon any creature. So for him, nothing is contingent or uncertain. God is certain. Amen? How many of you want to worship a wishy-washy God? A God who is uncertain as you are uncertain. Have you ever gone through an uncertain time? Am I alone in this? There's two of us. Cool. Three, four. All right. Now you get the drift. All right. It's everybody. We've all gone through uncertainty, and what we know about God is that He is not uncertain. God is certain. Because everything is ordered by His hand. He's absolutely holy in all His plans. Again, I'm reading. In all His works and in all His commands. And that's the London Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter 2, paragraph 2. Now, this is the essence of God. What we see is that God is completely self-existent and all-sufficient. He's completely self-existent and all-sufficient just in His essence, just in who, who He is. Let me read you some verses. Therefore, as to the, the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. 1 Corinthians 8.4 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Exodus three fourteen. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And He said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. Sorry, sent me to you. 1 Timothy 1.17, To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the holy God, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You see what we're getting at here. There's one God. This God is eternal. He's all-sufficient. He's self-existent. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Malachi 3.6, he's unchangeable. Jeremiah 23.23, am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? He's imminent. He's near to us. God can be both out there and both right here. Isaiah 6.3, And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Everything exists to Him. It's full of His glory. Psalm 115.3, Our God is in the heavens and He does all that He pleases. There's nothing thwarting the plans of God. There's nothing disrupting the plans of God. He is in heaven and He's doing all that He pleases. One of the things that that we're, we try to help our children understand at an early age is that God and Satan are not on the same playing field. They're not both all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. Satan is limited. He's a, Satan is created by God. And so he's bound in ways that God is not bound. And and so God and Satan are not up here together. God 
God has won the battle. Amen? They, they do oppose one another. And, and make no mistake, Satan is certainly wanting to influence and destroy the lives of people, especially believers. But, but God has won the battle. Amen? He can be trusted. He is faithful. John 5, 26, For as the Father has life in Himself, this is Jesus speaking, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. All sufficient. 148, 13, Psalm 148, 13, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. Hebrews 4, 13, And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. So not only is this God holy and eternal and absolute and wise and free and so on and so on. In other words, what we're describing is that this God is unlike you. He's unlike me. He's perfect and I'm imperfect. And I must give an account to Him one day. You must give an account to Him one day. Psalm 145, 17, the Lord is righteous in all His ways. Again, this is something I can't say about myself. And He's kind in all His works. I still can't say that about myself. God is altogether different than you and I. And He's altogether different than other gods, as we'll see in the coming weeks. Now here's what we know about God, is, is that He exists in three persons. So this is pillar number two. He exists in three persons. In regards to the Trinity, we might use the word person, and we were right to use the word person, but what we know about the word person is that it has a quite different meaning now than it did when it was first established. It's used differently as we're thinking about the persons of God than it is as we think about person, the word, in everyday life. So it's not like me describing myself and Alan. Me and Alan are two separate, individual, ind uh, sorry, independent individuals, right? We, we exist outside of one another, apart from one another. But God is not this way. His persons are not this way. God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, the word that was introduced in the early church as they're trying to explain who God is. And, and at the Council of Nicaea, they begin to, in, in AD 325, they begin to get some of these things nailed down so that people could understand it. One of the things about the, that council that's quite funny is, is there's, a, there's a story about a man named St. Nicholas. Anybody know St. Nicholas? Right? Do you know St. Nicholas was a bishop in a place called Myra? Anybody know that? St. Nicholas was a bishop in a place called Myra. St. Nicholas was present at the Council of Nicaea. Now, the Council of Nicaea was assembled because there was a man named Arius who was claiming that Jesus was not eternal like God is, that he had, he had a beginning. So he was saying he's not God. He's different than God. He's not eternally begotten. And so they assembled this council because these teachings were getting out of control. They assembled this council of Nicaea to settle this debate. And at one point in the debate or in the, the talks, St. Nicholas took offense to the fact that Arius was claiming that Jesus is not God. How could someone disrespect 
God this way, the Son of God this way. And so St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, goes across the room, slaps Arius in the face. (laughs) How dare you speak this way about the Son of God? It was a big deal. It was a really big deal. And so he ends up on suspension for a little while. There's an investigation done. He's reinstated. But uh, it's quite interesting. The Council of Nicaea settled this debate about the Trinity. It settled this debate about, is Jesus the Son of God? And one of the things that come out of that is an understanding of uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit being the three persons in God. The word they used was the word subsistence. Now, the word subsistence is this idea that it, it is, again, we've got to be careful with word pictures, but it's the idea that this is under the essence that the essence is, is primary and the subsistence is something that comes out of the essence of it. But it's not apart from it. It's not separate from it. And, and this is where we get um, the persons. This is where they come in. So one of the ways we may, if we're going to draw this and, and border on heresy, <laughs> one of the things you might do is you would, you know, have your circles interlap where you have the Father, the Son, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So what we know about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is that they are of the essence of God. They're not apart from the essence of God. They exist within the essence of God, right? And even drawing it this way is not great, But what I'm trying to show is is that there are characteristics that the Son has that the Father doesn't have and that the Spirit has that the Father and the Son don't have. There's characteristics about how they operate. So we might say that the Son is God, the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but the Spirit is not the Son, the Spirit is not the Father, the Father is not the Son, the Father is not the Spirit, and the Son is not the Father, the Son is not the Holy Spirit. Clear as mud, right? There are three distinct persons in God. Again, the the London Baptist Confession of Faith is helpful here. This was written in 1689. So again, it was at a time where they're trying to define things for the church, uh, especially as they were up against Roman Catholicism. This divine and infinite being consists of three real persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three have the same substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence without this divine essence being divided. So each has the divine essence without it being divided. So, again, just using a few terms, not all the things that we would use to describe the character of God, the nature and character of God, His attributes, just using a few of His attributes, we would say that the Holy Spirit is all-wise, all-holy, free, eternal, absolute. We say that the Son possesses all of those things. The Father possesses all of those things because that is the essence of God. There's nothing in His essence that the Spirit doesn't have or that the Son doesn't have or that the Father doesn't have. They all have the essence of God, though they might operate in a different fashion. And again, we'll see their operation more in the coming days, coming weeks. 
So let me go to some proof text again, just to show three distinct persons. 1 John 5, 7, for there are three that testify, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus would not say this if they were not all three God. 2 Corinthians 13, 14, uh, again, probably one of the best short statements about the Trinity that we have in Scripture. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. John 14, 11, Jesus is speaking, says, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. In other words, we have the same essence or else believe on account of the works themselves. John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In the verses that Patricia read this morning, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, we see uh, that the Word uh, existed in the beginning with God. The, the Word is Jesus. John 1.18, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but Jesus Christ has made him known to us. John 15, 26, but when the Helper comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, whom I will send, so Jesus is speaking to you from the Father. So again, the Holy Spirit is coming to you. I will send him from the Father, Jesus is saying, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So again, there's three distinct persons but all of the same essence. Galatians 4, 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So because you are sons, the Father has sent the Spirit of Christ, or the Holy Spirit, into your heart that you too might cry, Abba, Father, just as Christ does. And maybe one of the best instances is the baptism of Jesus Christ. When our Lord goes down into the water and He comes up at John's baptism, the Holy Spirit descends on Him like a dove, and so we have, the, we have Jesus, the Son, present. We have the Son of God present. We have the Holy Spirit descending on Him like a dove, and then we have the voice of the Father from heaven speaking and saying, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Three distinct persons. Each of these persons, finally, third pillar. I'll rush a little from here. <clears throat> is fully God. Each person is fully God. The Father is not derived from anyone. In the beginning, Genesis 1-1 declares, was God. When was in the beginning? I don't know. Just in the beginning. <laughs> was God. He's neither begotten, nor is He proceeding from anyone. The essence of God existed in the beginning. God has always been. And what we know about the Son is that He is eternally begotten of the Father. There's never been a time without the Son. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, as Jesus makes clear in John chapter 16. All three are infinite. All three are without beginning. All three are present in creation. You have the Spirit of God hovering over the deeps. You have Jesus, the Word, as it's ascribed to Him later, in, especially in Colossians and in John. You have the Word of God speaking. 
And you have the Father there orchestrating the whole thing. And so all three are infinite without beginning and therefore only one God who is not to be divided in nature or being. Yet these three are distinguished by several distinctive characteristics and personal relations. And that's where I'm saying we'll get into some of that as we go through this series. So God is not three and one in the same way. We don't have a contradiction here. It sounds like a contradiction, but it's not a contradiction because he is, he is one essence, but three persons. And each of these persons are the essence, or of the essence. And so each person is distinct in characteristics and in relation, yet fully God. Amen? This is the prime tenet of our faith. If we can understand the Trinity, we can be in fellowship with God in a right way, in a way that is delightful, in a way that has life to it. And I'm not saying you have to fully understand it to be in fellowship. I'm just saying as you begin to understand these things more and more, your fellowship flourishes, right? There, there are many people who don't understand any of these things who are true believers because God has saved them. Amen. I'm just saying as we grow in our faith, we want to know these things so that we can have right fellowship with God. Isaiah 45, 21 through 22. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Everybody listen, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. I have not told you, have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any, God says. Amen. Exodus 15, 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds? doing wonders. Brothers and sisters, I ask you, who, who is like our God? No one. Deuteronomy 4, 35, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Deuteronomy 32, 29, see now that I, even I am he. And there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Amen. 1 Samuel 2, 2, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. 1 Kings eight sixty, That all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Amen. So there is one God, 
And he is the God, and it's the Christian God. And this God is one in essence, three in persons, all of which are equally God, fully God. He's self-existent, he's all-sufficient, he's triune. And he is worthy, worthy of our worship. He alone is worthy of our worship. He alone is worthy of ascribing glory to. Our lives are meant to be spent for his glory. And and make no mistake, whether you live for God or you live against God, you will bring God glory because he is just in all his judgments. We need to be a people who amen a little better. He is just in all his judgments. You will not, you will not rebel against God in such a way that you prove him to be a liar or prove him to be false. You will not mock God. God sits in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. There is one true God. Now we're going to learn more in the coming weeks about his character. I, I encourage you, because some of this seems a bit maybe heavy-handed, that this is who God is. But we must understand who God is before we can talk about the overflowing of God's love. It just won't, it won't matter to us if we don't know who God is. So we, we must have an understanding of who God is if we want to know the love of God. And next week, we're going to talk more and more <clears throat> about this overflowing love of God. The point of today, the point of knowing who God is, is that He's worthy of our worship, He's worthy of our service, He's worthy of our obedience, and whatever else He might ask us to do, whatever else He might demand of us, He's worthy of it. And the thing is, is you can trust that His demands are good and right because He's righteous, He's holy, He's perfect, He's not evil. Again, the confession in chapter 2, paragraph 2, it says, Angels and human beings owe to him all the worship, all the service, all the obedience that creatures owe to the Creator and whatever else he's pleased to require of them. In chapter 2, paragraph 3, it says, The truth of the Trinity is the foundation of all of our fellowship with God and of our comforting dependence on him. The beauty of the Trinity is that we know that He is not like us. The beauty of the Trinity is that He is unlike all other gods. The beauty of the Trinity is that He is dependable. He is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our lives. He's worthy of our faith, of our trust. And if you haven't depended on God yet, if you haven't put your faith in God yet for the salvation of your sins then today's the day of salvation. Don't wait. Don't tarry. Place your faith in Jesus Christ today. God the Father sent God the Son. Again, I'm going to get into more of this, but I can't leave you hanging. I I read a story once. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a fantastic preacher, used to preach an evangelistic sermon in the mornings and then on Sunday, well, I think it was the other way around. But on Sunday nights, he would kind of bring a close to whatever cliffhanger he left on Sunday mornings. Well, between Sunday morning and Sunday night, some fires broke out across England, and many of the people who were present Sunday morning were not present Sunday night, many of which died. And Martin Lloyd-Jones said, I never again 
left the congregation hanging. He had to know. So I don't want to leave you hanging this morning. There's a lot to say and we will say, but what we need to know this morning is that God is worthy of faith. That you should place your faith in God. God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to be what you couldn't be, which is perfect, to die a death which you couldn't die, a perfect death that would, that would become the atonement for sins. You couldn't do that. So that you might believe in Jesus Christ and be saved today. This is why a babe was born in a manger, as the legacy goes. But a babe was born. Is that man kind might be saved through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity. And so the Trinity is the foundation for worship. It's the foundation for dependence. Psalm 148, 1 through 14, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise Him in the heights, praise Him all His angels, praise Him all His hosts, praise Him sun and moon, praise Him all you shining stars, Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. And He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hell, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling His word. Even the storms praise the name of God. Mountains and all hills Fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for His people, praise for all His saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him, praise the Lord, all you people of God. Praise his name. God is so unlike you. He's worthy of praise. He is faithful when we are unfaithful because he is not dependent on anything outside of himself. And so I beg you, to come to God in faith today if you have not. And if you are a believer today, let your heart soar in praise. Follow the command of Psalm 148. Praise Him, all you peoples of the earth. Amen? Would you stand to your feet? Worship team, you can come. Get rid of my beautiful artwork here. I want to pray for you, and then we're going to sing a, a, new, a new song, right? O come all ye unfaithful. And the words are uh, incredible, but it's an invitation as those who are unfaithful to come to the God who is faithful this morning. Amen. So I invite you to sing it with us, uh, to spend some time with the Spirit in prayer. Uh, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you are unlike all others, that you alone are God. You're the one true God. And so our hearts today abound with praise. 
God, would you fill us with passion and desire? Help us to burn within that we might know you, love you, pursue you more fully. God, would you rid, of our, rid our lives of anything that's contrary to your nature, that's contrary to righteousness, rid us of all sin, all unrighteous behavior, unrighteous thoughts. Lord, drive it far from us that we might worship you in spirit and truth. Father, I pray for anyone in here who doesn't know you as Savior, who has not placed their faith in you. Lord, would you grant them salvation today? Would you call them to yourself that they too might delight in God, that they too might surrender themselves to you, to love you forever, to know you fully. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the light of Christ that has dawned and the birth of, of your Son. That We celebrate that at this time every year. It's on our hearts and it's on our minds. But help us, Father, to not forget that that baby born is the very Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of hosts, there is no name given among men, no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Help us to call on the name Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. Amen.